Welcome to the Multitask. This is John Moore. What's your boy Fadi? What's going on, guys? So it looks like the long-awaited, going back to the Trump administration, looks like it's finally going to be Infrastructure Week. Now, we've had a few successful Infrastructure Weeks where we've made baby steps, but it looks like this is finally the week that infrastructure passes. Your thoughts? Uh, the key word is passes there, right? There's, there's, it's, it's on a, a leap and a prayer right now. It's basically a handshake deal as far as who's going to vote for it. I, I don't imagine Pelosi will put it up to a vote if she doesn't have it, but there's that moment, right? There's that moment where it goes to the Senate and people start lobbying and people start maybe trying to convince the mansion and send them back out. But as of right now, Everybody has Scott's honor. So uh, I'm hoping that it just is infrastructure week and, and it doesn't go completely disaster. Right. So one, one, of, one of the things, though, and I will tell you, and we don't know the process, and maybe as right after this drops or even before it drops, we'll learn more about the process. But I think one of the things that's important is they're going to vote on Tuesday. They're going to vote on both the infrastructure bill and the bill back better. Now, what I don't know is which gets voted on first, and I also don't know um, if uh, Pelosi will sit on the infrastructure bill. The infrastructure bill will pass because it's already passed the Senate, and we know it's going to pass the House. So the infrastructure bill will pass. The Build Back Better bill, I would assume, should pass because you'll have all the liberals and all you need are Democrats, and part of the excuse or what people are saying is once they see the text and the text will be done on Sunday, which which this airs on Monday, this debuts on Monday, so it'll be done yesterday. And then um, they go into immediate meetings and committee and stuff, and it makes it to the floor by Tuesday. Where I guess my concern would be or question is, um, so as we talked about, infrastructure, once the House passes, it's done. Will Pelosi send it to the White House immediately, or will she hold it until the um, uh, Build Back Better is agreed to in principle in the Senate? Now, it's a reconciliation bill. Uh, I'm not going to act like I'm some type of Senate or congressional uh, process expert, but I think a reconciliation bill usually is a little bit more of a shell to where there's an agreement the Senate, the House does its work because a reconciliation bill also can only start in the House. I do know that. So, for instance, they could have never started the reconciliation process in the Senate. It starts in the House. And I don't know if it's if it's a put-together piece when it leaves the House or when it goes to the Senate, is it more like an agreement and then they actually color in, you know, after it passed. So I don't know process. But I will tell you, be optimistic. Be optimistic. So then, let me ask you a question. Let's let's. I'm gonna just go far left. Go back to our our. Uh, obviously, you were my marketing teacher here at, at Columbia. And let me just pitch it from you from this angle. Is it smart to combine all of this, or do you think it's better to separate it? I'm speaking from a public standpoint. Like, is it two wins if Biden does this separately, or do you think him saying we passed a three trillion dollar bill, which is two bills into one? Is that easier pill for the kind of the public to swallow? What do you think is a bigger win here? Is it just saying raw numbers, three trillion, we passed this, two bills, we worked with, with Congress on, on, on both sides? Or is it saying, hey, we passed this infrastructure bill, cool, we also passed this other bill, this is all everything that's included. By the way, as you know, right, they're putting things in the bill that don't deal with infrastructure, right? There's climate change, there's there's child stuff, there's a lot of things that are just there that people try to stuff in, right? So... So that's my question, just the bird's eye view. Of what do you, what would you do? What was, what's marketing one on one here? Um, well, I think there's twofold, and I think one of the things, and you know, you know how we one of, one of the sayings that we that is out there is uh, Twitter doesn't vote, or no, Twitter's not real life. I should say Twitter's not real life. I think for the chattering class, for the pundits, for the people who are political, the fact that it was a major victory, regardless of what's in it. The fact that this needs to pass and this needs to pass and you'll never do it or it's never been done and it's the largest, that it, that's going to be the story in the, in the immediate short term. The long-term political advantage for the Build Back Better is that it gives a lot of people, especially Democrats, but 
we'll see what Republicans do with it. It gives them all the ability to take the pieces that they individually like, that they individually support, and go back to their constituents who are going to vote. I mean, even Joe Manchin can go ahead and go to West Virginia, and while he might not be going to a daycare center talking about the free, the free child care, he's going to be talking about, you see this bridge here? That's me. You're going to see Pramila Jayapal in Washington, D.C., going to a place where there's, you know, a, a, a preschool and talk about how this, that's me, you know, that these kids are going to school for, you know, because of me. You're going to see uh, uh, someone who cares about the environment uh, going ahead and showing, you see the $500 billion, that, that, that's me, that's me. So I think the, the reality is, is that there'll be a victory lap and a victory lap will be this altruistic, the, the, fa- the, the historic nature of what's been done the tandem pieces, the, the, those, that'll be where uh, the short-term lap is. But the question will be, does that come on Tuesday after the House does its business? Does that come on Thursday after, you know, maybe a sentence done? Is there a signing piece? You and I are working on a project where we wrote the project based upon a certain outcome. Will we be able to just use it as we shot it? Or will we, will we be able to go ahead and and um, well, we have to go ahead and edit it, right? Um, so, I, I I mean, I think it's a big week. I don't think I think um, I think it's fascinating because you know there's been some conversation as to whether or not it makes a lot of sense for um, if they should have done this before Virgi- before the Virginia race and whether it impact Virginia. But you know, it, I think it's a big week. I, again, I don't want to get too excited. We are Democrats, and Democrats we do have the uh sorry uh experience of constantly grabbing defeat from the jaws of victory but i think i think i think democrats should feel good about this week all right so then i'll take it a step further let me ask you this question biden hasn't been the president for uh a year yet um it seems like forever but I say that to some, it seems like forever. I was reading a Twitter thread the other day that kind of pointed, say this, I say this, I accomplished without these two bills that are fighting out the stuff that we've already, FDR and, and Lyndon B. Johnson combined, that might come in for you. It's the biggest piece of legislation maybe in the history of at least the modern history of our politics. And then I also saw and looked back the numbers of, of the Obama stimulus when he first This is three trillion, right? The auto industry in Michigan and, and Wisconsin, and I wonder if he is chased for what is it about or Dems in disarray that causes us to lose focus? A sports fan, your team is favored, and and you might be facing a team that's not that good. And you might win 24-21. It was probably a little harder than you wanted to, but you still got the W. And the coach goes on the, the podium, and they're like, why was this a struggle game? And the coach is always like, any team can beat you anytime. This is this is a professional, and everybody everybody is good. And this is supposed to be hard, and the fact that we came out with a W is still good. My question becomes this. The Dems in disarray, I know you hate that kind of – plot and sometimes i privately i don't do it on the pod but privately i text you like this is frustrating you know but is isn't this supposed to be what what it's all about is the checks and balances is the negotiations it's supposed to be this way right it's not supposed to be everybody's like the republicans do it that way where every like whatever mitch says goes or now whatever trump says goes do you think that there's nuance there or do you think that it's just going to look bad on the back end does that make sense? No, I, I, well, yeah, well, I think there's a few things, and I want to, I would, and I want to make sure I address all of the what you said, but also all that I thought. I think one of the things that, and I'm going to make an admission here, and this is going to shock folks who, and I've always said I'm to the left of most progressives. It's just that I'm, I'm more pragmatic, so I come off as a moderate. But first and foremost, one of the things that we need to do immediately, one of the things that I think is really important is that we go ahead and acknowledge the role of the progressives. Um, I've felt at times they were maybe doing some grandstanding and they would be, you know, that they were 
potentially not being team players. But I also realized that, but for the progressives, we wouldn't have the 1.75 billion build back better. Now, granted, it's not as large as they wanted. They were, you know, they Bernie Rizzi went at six billion and went down to 3.5 trillion. We landed at 1.75 trillion. Um, but <laughs> without the progressives holding the line, I don't think that we would be getting what we got. Um, if we had just gone ahead and passed infrastructure, would it have just been lip service and just a little bit of dancing around until we actually, um, you know, uh, you know, if we would have ever seen it. So the progressives deserve a lot of credit for that. So I do think that the sausage making, um, while it potentially turned off a lot of people in the long run, it's going to benefit a lot of people. Now, will it benefit Democrats? In the short term, it may actually um, backfire because of the infighting. But I think um, once people continue to, can receive their uh, child tax credit checks and some of the other benefits, are they going to sit there and say, you know, Cory Bush grandstanded too much? Are they going to be upset about this or that? And will the people forget about it by this time next year? So that's that's that. I think that the... This, you, you start out that last passage with something that I really want to address about the media and the whole dims and disarray. The most frustrating thing for me in a lot of ways is how the press continues to try to pin, spin stuff as bad for Democrats or how they're, or, and, and its purpose. Um, I'm not sure uh, if you actually, did you hear about the whole or see the whole controversy around Casey Hunt? formerly of MSNBC, now of CNN. Did you hear about this tweet that she put out? I, I, I uh, knew it was on the timeline. I just I lost it, and I couldn't get a hold of it, so I didn't want to go back and even try it. Yeah. Well, she got ratioed on this one. Um, once we started learning about what was potentially in the bill and the fact that uh, paid leave was going to be out or potentially out, Casey Hunt, Casey Hunt tweeted, if paid leave is left out of this bill, I'm going to spend the midterms covering how suburban women who turned on the GOP over Trump are responsible responding to Democrats uh, Democratic governing in DC especially after the pandemic now what she is basically saying is if the Democrats don't include this I'm gonna go ahead and basically spin create make news and really ask people how they feel about Democrats dropping the ball on this let's let's be honest Casey 48 Democrats support paid leave. 50 Republicans don't. But you're going to go ahead and lay this on the feet of the Democrats, meaning that this is potentially one of the most significant victories in, in you know, probably not since the um, Affordable Care Act, and I'm not sure how it rates in comparison. Is it, you know, only time will tell whether it's more significant or less significant than the Affordable Care Act. Nonetheless, it is huge, and she's zeroing in zeroing in on the one frame that's negative for the Democrats. All this other stuff that's going to be in there, if any of those planks had passed in previous administrations by themselves, they would have been big news. We're, we're talking about $500 billion invested in the climate. You know, so, so I do think, and, and you know, one of the things, I want to stay on Build Back Better, but I'm going to do a sidebar over to the Virginia race. You know, it's tightening. I feel I feel good. A little anxious, but I feel good. I've talked to a few people, some people on the ground in, in Virginia, and some people, you know, who, who are party people, and there's cautious optimism about it. Now, just like with the midterms, where you know how they say the midterms, the party in power loses, I've heard this, you may have heard this. Whatever party has the White House, you traditionally the other party in Virginia wins the governor's mansion. That's kind of a practice, just like, okay. So what does that tell you? Is that tells you that realistically, if McCulloch were to lose, all that's happening is what has happened for years. But that's going to be spun into what? The Dems really screwed the pooch, blah, blah, blah. But here's the question, Bonnie, is do you think if McCulloch holds on Will this be a bigger negative frame for the Republicans? Because, quite frankly, if the trend is that the party out of power wins the governor's mansion, if McCulloch holds on, 
shouldn't there be doom and gloom Republicans in disarray stories that pop up? Or will the, will the, will the narrative been, if McCullough pulls out a squeaker, it should have never been in doubt. It should have never been that close. As opposed to the fact that McCullough technically is the one who shocked the world by winning this election. So what are your thoughts on, on what I just said there? If 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 it's too close, but, but we still pull the victory, they're just going to say this was too close for comfort. It's a sign. It's a bad sign for midterms. That's what happened in California, right? They said the fact that Newsom spending this much money is a bad sign because even if they lose it, they're still spending too much to keep the, a state that's supposed to be a safe blue, right? So that's all the media has been. And I want to just piggyback on what you said with the whole 48 Democrats and, and, and the 50 Republicans. There is zero expectations for the Republicans to pass anything. There is zero expectations for them to govern that the media almost just never follows on, right? Nobody ever asks about the tweets. Remember the whole controversy where they never happen to see Trump's tweets, yet everybody knows it. You know what I mean? There's that whole thing. There's controversy. There's the Mad Gates situation that nobody gets asked about that still frustrates me to this day. Um, there's a lot of situation. There's a situation where we just saw a senator, uh, just like we saw in Georgia last during the pandemic, a senator say, "Okay, I have COVID information. I'm going to dump stocks, insider trade before the pandemic hits." Right? Nobody's being asked about this, and this is all the media's job, right? You know what the you know what Jen I I I occasionally watch the Jen Psaki in, uh, press conferences, and it's like there's a lot of pushback on vaccine mandates, and it's like. This has nothing to do with Democrats. Like, and I love when Jen Psaki says, go ask DeSantis about this. Go ask Abbott about this. Why are you asking me? We're trying to do what's best for the country. That's the frustrating part about this is one side of this political system and all their constituents, all their voters, which is, I think it's not 50% of the country. We guesstimate it's probably 40 to 45% of the country, right? They don't want to move this country forward in any single way. All they want is the tax credits and they just want to chill. There hasn't been, we talked about this before, there hasn't been a single piece of significant legislation going back to Reagan from, from the Republican side, right? And now we're stuck in, the Dems just passed this huge thing, but they had to take out a bunch of stuff to get it done, as opposed to when have the Republicans ever did anything? And I wish the media would just be like, when have they done anything? I just want to, I want someone to ask them that. Other than tax credits, what have you actually accomplished when you had uh, when you were in, go- in governing power? So that's my frustration right now. No, and and it, it's it, it is as we get ready for twenty two, which believe it or not, as of the airing of this broadcast is two months away. Um, but as we get ready for twenty two, these are how how do we do it? I don't want to be the Republicans who are anti-media i think there's a way to challenge and critique the media without just saying screw the media because they're not the enemy of the state but knowing what knowing that you got casey hunt of cnn doing this and you and i both know yeah. you probably followed through with that but first of all i thought it was a threat but what should be our attitude towards the media i'm not ready to throw them away i'm not ready to say you know damn them all i don't want to take that republican attitude and stance towards the media but i also think that they really do need to be checked over some of the stuff that they do yeah i'm not ready to throw away the media i think it it serves a a purpose in this political world i I just wonder if part of the solution is what jen saki does where she's like why are you asking us why don't you go ask DeSantis and Abbott? And part of it is just holding the media accountable to say, hey, Trump didn't believe in the vaccine. He said this whole thing was a hoax. You guys let him off the hook for that. He basically attempted, and we we saw uh, this week some damning documents come out that basically it was Trump actually asking to overthrow the government, right? And nobody gets asked about that. Matt Gates, if I was Jen Psaki, I would just go up there and be like, does anybody have Matt Gates? Uh, obviously, she can't do it because Biden. She represents Biden and Biden's thoughts. Obviously, what I mean is, we have to start asking the media, "What's the update on Matt Gates? What's the update on this? What's the update on this? What happened to Kelly Loeffler, who was insider trading? What happened to is it Senator Burr? I think who was insider trading? Where's the updates to all this stuff? Right, as opposed to 
uh, 30% of cops don't want to take the vaccine. Why are you asking us? We didn't put the vaccine mandates in those states. We don't, you know what I mean? It's like Biden's getting blamed for things that have nothing to do with him. And look, criticism on the president's fair. I think criticism is important. We aren't supposed to be fans, right? We're supposed to be people who hold these people accountable, whether you're on the left or you're on the right. I don't want to, I don't have a Biden hat. I don't have a Biden bumper sticker. You know what I mean? I, I believe what Biden's doing is what's best for the country. My point is to say criticism is fair, but now they're just, they're taking right-wing conspiracy theories and asking Jen Psaki that question, as opposed to asking the actual conspiracy theories, which the entire Republican Party is at this point. Right. It's, it's, uh, it's one of those things where we have to figure them out. They have an opportunity this week uh, with how they come, one, cover Virginia, what narratives will happen. And two, with how they cover Build Back Better this week. Well, you know, this is the mo- this is a very significant piece of legislation. There's a lot in there. If it's passed, will they go and talk about that? Will they talk about what's great? Or will they talk about how hard it was for the Democrats to do this? Will they go ahead and will they zoom in and zero in on, 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 on controversy, on negativity? Talk, you know, it, it's, it's a priority. Right, you know, it, it is an absolute priority. One of the things that I was frustrated with was um, when they had the hearing, no, not the hearing, when they had the floor vote on whether or not to hold Steve Bannon in contempt. Um, it was a back and forth, and MSNBC, not Fox, MSNBC, did not carry Benny Thompson, who is the chair of the commission, did not carry his speech, um, did not carry the majority of Democratic speeches, but they carried Kinzinger's speech, Liz Cheney's speech, uh, I think a Gates and a Jordan rebuttal, and maybe they did carry Jimmy Raskin. But what's happening is they are so in love with the two Republicans who are standing up against the party, they're not giving the Democrats any credit for anything. And it's, you know, Matt, you know, it is significant that, that, um, Cheney and Kinzinger are standing up against their party. And I don't think that, uh, it's wrong to give them some airtime and a platform in which to do it, but I don't think you do it at the expense of Democrats because then the story will be in the history books will reflect an outsized role of two people who, other than going against their party might not be doing any of the heavy lifting might not be, you know, if this, if this commission is successful, um, were they the ones who made it successful or were they just Republican names on the board? And I don't want to, you know, you know, imply that they're not doing it, but I'm just saying, I fear that the media here, even with this, uh, January 6th commission is going to overstate the Republican heroics at the expense of, the real work that's being done, and it's being done by the entire committee. Well, I'll push back on one thing. Cheney and Kinzinger aren't going against their party. They're going for the truth. They don't They don't have an opinion. They're just saying, let's find out what happened. And the entire Republican Party is like, nope, no thanks. So I wouldn't say they're standing against their party as much as they're standing for the truth, right? That's just, I'll push back against that. The second thing I do want to say is, it's interesting that we're in the country, because sometimes I'm on Reddit, and, and, and those kind of forums just reading. A lot of Canada and Europe, in their schools, I don't know if you know this, they're taught a different political system of how America works. And they consider the right to be the extreme right. They consider someone like AOC to be relatively moderate on the political scale. And, and there's a further left than somebody like AOC or Bernie. And so that's interesting because I bring that up to say about MSNBC is looked at as this liberal left wing uh, Biden puppet, right? That's what how the right thinks of it. But in reality, they're pretty down the middle as far as political. Like I understand there's a lot of them, Rachel Maddow and Chris Hay and all those. I understand those people are left. But what I mean is they're not as left as people really think. And that's why I think they're in love with this Cheney Kinzinger plot line. There's a, they're in love with the Dems in disarray. They're always looking for the story, and I think they probably skew more 
center right than they do far left. Does that make sense? Right, right. It's you know it'll be fascinating, and uh, this is gonna be this gonna be a big week. I think what's really funny though is that we've had so many big weeks that never panned out. I also think that there is kind of a, a gun shyness that I think even the most optimistic people are going in this week prepared to be disappointed or prepared to kind of rationalize or make excuses. So, but I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about this. And I do think that, and you, we've talked about this in multiple other pods, spike the ball, spike the AOC. I want to see you. I want to see you and the rest of the squad in the end zone, copping a pose and then going out and selling the hell out of this. Um, you know, again, five hundred billion for 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 climate change. That's huge. That's a huge investment. If 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 if, if you know, I just we have to celebrate it, and we have be and partly because the Republicans will find a way to you know the the play it down. The the press was not going to help out. You remember when everybody was saying that the press is not uh, sharing what's in the bill. The press's coverage of response to that was to do a story on the press uh, and their coverage of the bill, as opposed to be sh- and, and and defending what they've done, as opposed to just saying, "No, here's what's in the bill." So it, it's crazy. You know, one of the ways that uh, the last week started was a Rolling Stone piece that listed a number of members of Congress and their staffs as being involved in the January sixth insurrection and its planning. Um, you know, I, I remember when I shared it with you, you were a little skeptical. And one of the things that I didn't see was that I think I'd feel a little bit better about is, you know, normally when there's some type of breaking news, what, what would you say? Maybe within three or four hours, no matter who the outlet is, within three or four hours, either Washington Post and or New York Times is on it and confirms it. But I did find out, though, that, and it didn't get a lot of play, because I think it broke on a Saturday, you know that the Washington Post wrote a similar or some type of story about January 6th that was just as damning, but it came out on a Saturday and it didn't even get a lot of bandwidth. Did you did you hear about that? No, I don't think I'm familiar. Yeah, yeah, it was something about a meeting at the Carlisle at, at that hotel. Is it the Carlisle Hotel or the, that one hotel that's near? I think so. Yeah. Um, but what 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 do you think? I I I, I think. Well, well, I'm going to hear your thoughts first before I do what I think. Well, the reason I, was, I wasn't I was as skeptical as much as I was being a cynic is because I didn't need a, a Rolling Stone eight-month investigation to, to remember what I saw on Twitter the late week leading up to the to the January 6th. We could go back. January 6th was a, was a Tuesday, if I'm not mistaken. Our pod that came out that Monday, we were talking about the expectation for the January 6th. Remember, we were talking about uh, Secret Service and 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 the Capitol Police getting ready, and we just said, "Oh, we hope there's no violence." We could go back to the pod to say, "Trump's calling for violence." All these Proud Boys, remember the D, the FBI picked up all these Proud Boys on the on the on the night before the eve. We saw um, Gosar and Gates and. Ober and MTG, we saw all these people calling for this. There's no way Bobert wakes up. This is before the even protest happened and where Trump was speaking. When Bobert wakes up and says today is 1776, like she's Alexander Hamilton, is there's no way that I could look at that and be like, she didn't know exactly what they were doing, right? And there was like little things like tours being set up that week. And there was, um, if I'm not mistaken, Maybe Katie Porter, Carrie Porter's um, panic button was somebody's panic button was I, I not activated. I Presley. Yeah, her panic button wasn't working. All these things we knew prior to January six, and so it's like part of the problem with the Rolling Stones thing is cool. You wrote it and you had a good writer write it, but we saw this live. I saw it live on Twitter, and I saw it live on uh, the TV. And that's what where my cynicism comes from is we know all this already. And what are we actually doing about it? I don't think it's the Democrats' fault. What I'm saying is we talked about this last week with Garland. There's a little bit of an overcorrection not to do too much. Um, and people think Garland's supposed to just get on a horse and start wrangling people up. And I understand that it's a process. But 
I'm still waiting for Matt Gates. It's been a year, John. It's been almost a year since the Matt Gates situation came out, and we're getting frustrated. So my point is, I've seen people arrested for less, and so that's my frustration. That's where my cynicism comes from is I've seen people arrested for less, and I don't know what the problem is. Yeah, it's um, it's it's frustrating waiting, and I think one of the things I read in in, in the immediate response was. Uh, I forget. It was, I think it was a, a an attorney that was you know really popular in a lot of spaces. And there's there's multiple legal thoughts on on that Rolling Stone piece. But someone said, no, this is probably factual. But at the end of the day, it's no there there. It's it. But this is what frustrates me. And it was one of the things I thought one of my friends is essentially everything that report was reported in the Rolling Stone has truth to it. But it's it's framed in a manner in which it needs where it's not where where it comes off and appears to be a smoking gun, but on on, on a deeper dive, it's not a smoking gun. But this is what gets me frustrated. Reverse the roles. Reverse the roles. If the Repo- if the Democrats were the perpetrators of January sixth, the Republicans were investigating, and that same piece came out. And it named AOC, Cory Bush, Ro Khanna, Bernie Sanders. Would you agree that the exact same information with the roles reversed, the other side, with the support of the media, would have ended three or four careers with the, with the exact same information? Uh, way more than three or four careers. They would have ended every single buddy who ever tweeted about any of that. Remember, they tried to censure Maxine Waters for saying what she said about the protest. They tried to get the January 6th commission to be about the Black Lives Matter protest last year during the George Floyd situation. We know what they're capable of when they have the power. I'll tell you what. If the Republicans take back the House for some reason in 2022, they will have Benghazi hearings still. And I'm not, I'm not saying that as exaggeration or hyperbole, right? They had 11 Benghazi hearings. 11 and they went through all of Hillary's like emails and that whole thing. I don't even want to say the word Hillary's emails. Right. So we know what they're capable of when they have nothing. So when they have literally tweets of the president saying, um, or, or live video of the president saying, Hey, I'm going down there with you. And then now we know from based on uh, testimony that he was planning to go down to the Capitol. Um, they would they would have a field day for it. They would it would be on prime time. They would they would do it during the halftime of the Super Bowl. They would do it any single chance they got to to prove a point. And I agree. with How you do we level that. that playing field? How do we? I mean, because would you agree that part of the reason why they would do it is though, and this is one of the challenges that you and I talk about, is the fact that if I said this glass was full, or if I said this glass was yet yeah, was full. Um, and other Democrats, and it's full of Republican tears, there'd be a, a, a three-hour debate on Twitter as whether or not those were Republican tears, just rainwater, or what have you. Is a Republican held up the same class and said, it's full of liberal tears, without any questions, would be full of liberal tears, it'd be all over in the echo chamber. How, I, I, do like, I do like the way that we interrogate things. I think there's more integrity to it. But it also handcuffs us. So what would be, in your mind, a way to maintain an integrity that the Republicans don't, but also is more opportunistic than how we currently uh, conduct ourselves in some of these situations? Well, it's a good question. I don't think I have the answer. But I will say I think the reason that it's more effective for the Republicans is because we've talked about this before. They are so lock and step with whatever they're told to do from the leaders, they will do it. And then it goes down to the constituents. The constituents believe every single thing that the Republicans tell them, every single thing. There's people who think Ted Cruz really was just taking his family and coming right back during the Texas storm, right? And I say that to say, it just doesn't work like that with us. And I say that to say, it just doesn't work like that. Every Democrat who's elected generally wants the January 6th commission. And we saw uniformly 
we all were on the same page. We, we also saw some Joe Manchin say, well, I'm still hanging out with Lindsey Graham. He's on my boat and Mitch McConnell's a friend, right? And some of that's just re- re- reaching across the aisle, trying to be friends, right? But at the same time, it's also, that just never happens on the other side. At the same time, it's also, that just never happens on the other side for that. Democrats on the other foot. So I think, I don't know the answer to how to fix it, but poor Democrats on the other foot. So I think, I don't know the answer to how part of the solution, I think, is if we all, nobody's really talking about this. People are starting to, some people are talking about the economy. Some people are talking about midterms. Some t- people are talking about the bills. Some people are talking about climate change because we have so many different issues we have to focus on until they pivot. And then they'll talk about, oh, uh, Christ- uh, Democrats are killing Christmas and Santa's dead. And they'll talk about that for the whole month of December. And then they'll critical be- race theory, critical race theory. And now, race now theory. it's critical race theory and it's, and it's bathrooms and, and kids genitals and all that stuff. That's what they're obsessed with. And they go and Democrats just don't do that. Right. Everybody kind of has their own idea of how to help. AOC is talking about something different than, than Pelosi's talking about. And, and Schumer's talking about something different than Biden's talking about. And it's good. That's how politics should be. But part of it is that we are just so, diverse that we have different issues to focus on republicans can focus on 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 the buzz the buzzworthy buzzworthy stuff because that's all they have they don't have any substance i'm going to give you a, this is not going to be direct sports analogy it'll be a sports media analogy and i think i've said this a few times i think republicans and we see this because of how they basically call into called into the wrestling bow show do not rest in peace rush um but, you know, and, and they basically just, you know, say they'll just listen and they'll, you know, basically f- feel like sheep. Whereas Democrats, and you know this as a sports fan, are the people who call into the score, call into sports radio after a game, and it could be a win, and they're still going to complain that the pitcher didn't look right in the third pitch of the first inning, right? Um, uh, Democrats, Democrats are sports talk radio callers. Loyal to hell, loyal as hell to their team. But even after a win, it's, I mean, and sometimes their, their, their criticism after a win is 10 times worse than the criticism after a victory, right? Um, that's, that's the democratic psyche, right? Is, 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 yeah, we won these elections. Hopefully McCullough will be very successful this week. Regardless, every progressive show on, on, on talk radio is going to be getting calls about what McCullough should have done or shouldn't have done, and 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 it should have been larger. This is should this should have been his platform. Hell, Democrats shouldn't have even nominated him. That type of thing. Republicans will sit there and talk about. They'll rally around Youngkin regardless of what happened. They might say he should have embraced Trump more if they lose, but other than that, you know, it's going to be kind of a lockstep. And and I I appreciate that. I just need we just need to find a. It's not even a happy medium. We just need to be less. Is what is it? You know, do we need to be less thoughtful? I mean, I mean, what's the? I don't know. It just, I want to say interrogate a little less is what I'm saying. Well, I'll tell you how to really fix it. Is you pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, you just keep winning elections, and then at some point the media has to say, why can't Republicans win elections without gerrymandering and stealing things and inciting a coup on the American government, right? So I think part of it is just to keep performing, keep winning, keep winning games, and then you'll, yeah, you'll win um, people over. You know, we'll see. This, 2022, that, obviously, uh, is the first test of that. It's so happening. We'll, we'll find out soon enough. It got kind of ugly in New York the other week, or this past week, is protesting uh, vaccine and mask mandates. Uh, we know what's been happening at school board meetings. We know what's been going on. Kyrie did his protest, and things got crazy outside the Barclays Center. What was your reaction when you saw folks wilding outside of the Barclays Center last week? I just saw, um, honestly, I want to say, like, stupidity and that whole thing, but I saw just, I saw I was sad. And the reason I was sad is because you you have no basis for your argument. Kyrie didn't go to jail. Nobody wants Kyrie to go to jail for not getting the vaccine. Kyrie has absolutely every individual freedom to make that choice. But the Brooklyn Nets and the Barclays Center and the government of New York has a rule. 
and this is a society with rules. And I just want to harp on this point again. Vaccine mandates already exist. This isn't new. You have to have certain vaccination status to do many things in this country, including including join the army, go to school, get certain jobs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's already vaccine mandates, and I just don't know what this is about other than you trying to make noise. And that's what's frustrating is that we're in a pandemic. We are losing our planet to, to, to global warming. We are facing so many different crises that you waste time by doing stuff like this. And that's why I was just sad because this isn't going away. This isn't just Kyrie and Barclays. This is everywhere. School board meetings, like you said, the flight attendants are dealing with a bunch of different things. Um, I saw a guy in Costco just lay down and protest and just say, I just want to buy some cookies, right? These are the snowflakes. These are the softies. These are the ones who cannot survive in old school America like everyone thinks they can. So as far as I can, I'm concerned, they can kick rocks. You know, um, I meant to tell you, I had a very interesting experience. I got my booster this week, by the way. Oh, did you? Um, oh, yeah, interesting. I, I, I got my booster and my flu shot at the same time. Oh, but um, something, something fascinating happened. I walk in, and there's an older white guy next to me, and over next uh, younger black guy. The only way to describe him, and I got to give physical appearances, imagine, uh, imagine Migos without the jewelry and a loungewear. So like he, and, and, and Adidas slides. So like, you know, sweatpants, sweat jacket, Adidas slides, you know, big braids. And what was funny was you know, when I was first paying attention, he was, he was just playing on his phone and I wasn't really paying attention to him. But then I, when he walked up, um, he literally, and, and, uh, the pharmacist was an older, probably a West Indian black, you know, woman it was a black woman, I think from the West Indies, very heavy accent. And, um, he says to her, I'm scared. And it was funny because he had the effect, the look of, you know, just, you know, thuggish, ruggish, you know, you know, just like, you know, that type of, that type of dude, right? Drill, uh, he looked like a drill rapper, right? And and he, and he said and he, and he showed vulnerability, and he's like, I, you know, I'm scared. So he does this check and he goes back down, and then I'm now I'm listening over listening to his calls, and he uh, obviously I think he was like an operating engineer or something. He's calling all of his boys and telling them they need to get their shots. He's sitting here scared to death, scared to death, and he's sitting here, you know, but he, but they went. It was a mandate at work. They have to have their shots by December eighth. And he was going through his phone as he is scared to death. And then he finally goes over and to get a shot. And I hear him say, as a different person giving a shot, I hear him say, I'm scared. I'm scared. You know, blah, blah, blah. And then he got a shot. He came out. And as he's coming out, he sees like a coworker or something. And then he decides to, 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 to let the coworker know, it's okay. I just did it. And, but it was the funniest thing because... There's the anti-vax crowd, but this guy was legitimately scared. He wasn't. Yeah. He wasn't here trying to be an anti-vaxer. But it was. I mean, it was. A, it was a very fascinating and human experience to watch. Uh, now that you brought that up, I do want to share an experience with you too. I will purposely debate with anti-vaxers, not to change their mind, but I like to poke holes in the argument and show them that uh, they don't really have an argument. So I, I do it for maybe a little bit of a. Uh, practice, if you will, intellectual practice, right? And I, I talked to an anti-vaxxer who I tried to, con- I, I don't convince him to get the vaccine as much as I convince him that this is all okay and that the vaccine mandates aren't uh, a threat to your freedom, et cetera, et cetera, right? And everything he tells me is fear-based. Oh, that it's a chip or they're going to track you or they're Kill, they're, they're kicking people out of work for not getting a mandate. And I I told them what 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 um Mr. Rogers says, and it's like look look for the helpers. It's like my goal isn't to convince people to get vaccines as much as it's to help. A lot of people died, a lot of people are sick, a lot of people are suffering. There's a lot of mental toll that this generation will take on for decades. And I really do mean that, because we're still in the pandemic. And the, tr- the mental trauma that this p- 
past two years will have on us is going to be something that we're all going to deal with in our grandparents, our grandchildren's lives. And so my goal is to help people in any single way. So when you told that story, that's what it reminded me of is a, a genuine person who's scared, still trying to be a help to other people in that way. And I will tell you this, John, majority of people, like the, vac- the anti-vaxxers are loud, but the majority of the country is vaccinated. The majority of the world will be vaccinated. The majority of the country is trying to help. And that's what I find solace in is, by the way, the numbers are pretty good. 70% of adults are vaccinated in this country. That's a significant amount of people. And so I, I urge everybody else to just, you could hear the noise, just drown it out and look for the helpers, as Mr. Rogers would say. And, you know, but one of the things, though, too, and I'm not sure how we've, and I, I'm not sure how recall how either of us felt when you knew the vaccine was out. I, I'm ready for, I'm not, I'll put it this way. I'd be happy once we could have more restrictions lifted. But I don't want to restrict or lift restrictions for the sake of lifting them. I want to lift them because we meet the benchmarks to do it. But and and I don't want this to go on forever. But our when you see people on TV talking about how put out they are, do you believe them? I mean, I've gotten the level I've developed a new normal that I'm very comfortable with. You know, I will go to restaurants and bars. I'm not doing it as much. I'm not in big crowds as much. But I also I'm also taking enough precautions that when I do go out and try to, you know, do stuff, I I have confidence because of precautions I take and precautions that people I'm with take. Um, I don't, I mean, I don't want this to go on forever, but I also don't think we need to rush out of it. And I think that's why we're still dealing dealing with it at the level we're dealing with it at is because too many people tried to rush. If we hadn't tried to rush out of, certain states, might we be further along? We would still, I don't think we'd be back to normal, but might we be more on, why don't we be on track to get closer to normal sooner than we are now, is what I'm saying. Well, yeah, and like you said, there is going to be, I think we will We will get back to 2019 eventually, but there's, there's a little thing that's going to change here, and that's when you walk down that CVS aisle, you will see a COVID-19 test that you could take home. And I think what a lot of people are going to do this holidays is, okay, cool. Thanksgiving, we're going to grandma's house. Let's all get tested the Wednesday. Like we're all vaccinated. Let's all get tested Wednesday. We'll show up Thursday and we'll really have a good time. I can't speak for the country, but Chicago's positivity rate is 1.6%. And I don't think it's been that low since March, 2020. And that will go up. Uh, I hope it does it, but that will probably go up and it's just going to fluctuate depending on what happens. Right. Um, but 1.6% is like, I want to take a moment to say, wow, I can't believe we're at 1.6%. And I think what you'll see is people saying, cool, let's go, let's, let's, let's buy 15 COVID-19 tests. When everybody comes to our house, we'll do a quick swab. One person will be in charge. We'll wait 15 minutes and boom, once we get the negative test, we're all good to go. Uh, Pfizer is working on an anti-oral, uh, is, is working on an oral antiviral pill. That's supposed to hit the market in 2022. We, I think we have. I, a think, Merck already, I think I think I think Merck has one already, right? Isn't Merck? I'm sure that all the Merck. companies are working on them. Yeah, um, I think there's a fourth vaccine that might get approved soon enough, if I'm not mistaken. Um, look, something about America and something about the world is they will rise to the challenge. And I'll go back to my point about the Barclays: is the anti-vaxxers are loud. But the majority of people are going to help and, and, and get us through this, hopefully. But I, I, do, I do think that for us to return to normal, we have to do a better job as society, as a society, not individuals, although the society is made up of individuals. We need to do a better job as a society of living with COVID. The sooner we learn how to truly live with COVID, and live so in a very in a manner that that is that leads to mitigation and everything else. The sooner we return to normal, and also, the sooner. And I think if we learn how to live with COVID, then the restrictions that have to be in place seem less burdensome. I don't feel at all burdened by any of the restrictions that are in place. Do you? I mean, I'm I'm more conservative than a lot of people. I've been home for a long time. I've just started to go out. 
Um, we were together last last week, and and all of us, I personally, and all the people I brought with, got tested. We were all wearing masks, and it just was like whatever we could do to protect our community. That's what I think a majority of people will do. So you're right. I don't think the restrictions are going to hinder us from going back to kind of living our lives eventually. Right, and 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 I think that, and I think that's one of the most frustrating things is the sooner we get used to living a responsible life. Even if COVID, because you know there are some thought that COVID's going to be around for a while, we could conceivably still be dealing with masks next next year, right? Um, we should we should just embrace it and live our live our best lives because that's why businesses are suffering because it's too many people who are all or none, right? It's 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 you know and don't get me started on the Chicago Police Department. Although I I do think it's funny that. Um, one of the things that I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm big. I love unions. I, I'm a member of the, uh, a, a, a teacher's union. But one of the things that I, that I'm really fascinated by is the fact that there's over 70% of the Chicago police department is vaccinated. The reason why I say I'm fascinated by that, especially from a labor perspective is one of the things we oftentimes talk about in labor is, do you have the support of your members? And I will tell you, any union leader who wants his members to act a certain way, and at least seventy percent of them aren't acting that way, that bias, that guy's not going to be a a, a a a labor leader for too long. Yeah, no, that that whole thing is shaking out pretty uh, season two of the wire ish. So it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. Um, I will say you, your idea of restrictions and new normal and everything like. You're a lot, I wouldn't say a lot older. You're older than me, so you you understand probably this more than I do. I remember when you used to go to a restaurant, they'd be like, smoking or not smoking. And I, I remember when smoking indoors was like normal. And I remember when um, people getting sick and going to work was normal. And I remember when seatbelts were or optional and not you you couldn't get a ticket off of them. And I, I remember when that stuff was passed. Right. And I say that to say society will adjust and people will get over it. And I think the restrictions, the tests, the at home tests, the, the, there's going to be digital vaccine. There's, there's a lot of companies working on this, having your vaccine on your phone. So you, when you walk into the United center, that'll scan your phone and see that you're vaccinated People will adjust and people will get there. 70% of the police department, 70% of the country are adults, right? And Pfizer was just approved for 5 to 11. So I think we'll get to 70% total soon enough. The majority of the country will just sue and everybody else will kind of like, there's going to be, there was anti-vaxxers before this. This isn't new. So we're just going to have to deal with it as it comes. But I agree with you. It's just going to be about addressing and, and moving on. So on that note, we're uh, closing in on almost, uh, or we're just seven minutes, seven hours, so we should probably wind down. Uh, so for now, this is John signing off. This is Friday signing off. Thanks for joining us. Today.